This is Airwaves by Aviation Trader, your complete aviation marketplace, with your hosts, Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Well, hi everyone and welcome back to Airways Podcast, the official podcast of Aviation Trader magazine, aviationtrader.com.au. I'm Steve Vischer, welcoming Grant McHeron and mate, uh, we're picking up our conversation, the second of our three-part series, talking to uh, real, really iconic uh, Australian aviation personality and businessman, Steve Paget. That's right, mate. And uh, as I said at the start of the uh, previous episode, uh, Steve is recognised as a leader in the aviation industry in the Asia-Pacific region, and he's acknowledged by his peers as one of the region's top 10 people of influence. So, uh, mate, as we heard in the first episode, quite the history getting involved in aviation, setting up various businesses. And in this one, we continue that chat. He's just got his big one, Aeromill, up to the point where he's moved it to Queensland and it all goes big from here. You've moved Aeromill up to Queensland and that must have been, there must have been something in the air and, the, and you know, Queensland is the, is the home of the big pineapple and the big this and the big everything. And, you know, Aeromill really went leaps and bounds, didn't it, once you moved up there? Yeah, well, what happened was, apart from it, so, you know, it was it was a fresh environment and really invigorated both me and my staff. And um, and most of the staff that came up were new, so that was great too. Even though some did come with me, um, but Don Kendall was would start at the next phase, which was he came to me one day and he said, "Look, Steve," he said, "I've been talking about you to Ansett, and Ansett are struggling." with their 737 operation in the Maroochydore. Um, what they prefer to do is run into Brisbane and have a feeder from Brisbane to Maroochydore. So I said, oh, that's interesting. Um, tell me more. And he said, well, look, no, I won't tell you more. He said, you go tell your story to Ansett. I'll, I'll tee up the appointment with the people who matter, and they want to talk to you. You go talk to them. So I flew to Melbourne, and I went and talked to them. And again, cut a long story short, um, they said to me, look, you know, what we'd like you to do you're a, you've got Banner Annie's. It's a great aeroplane. Why don't you run a Banner Annie service from Brisbane to Maroochydore? <laughs> and uh, I said, well, geez, that means I've got to start an airline. I got to, oh, they said, yep, yep. And you have to do it very quickly. So we, again, we have a, I had a young fellow, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll diversify, if I may, the story a little bit. Um, when I moved up here, I got a call from Bond University. And Bond University said to me, look, we've got a young fellow here, very young fellow, who loves aviation, he's very smart, he's got a computer degree, um, but he just wants to be in aviation. Ansett have knocked him back, Qantas have knocked him back, everybody in aviation has knocked him back. I've heard you may be able to help him. And I said, look, I, I don't have a job for a pilot. He's, he wants to be a pilot, I don't have a job for a pilot now, I can't help you. And they said, yeah, yeah, but can you advise him at least? He'd love, I said, well, if he's prepared to drive to Maroochydore on a Saturday morning, I'll come to the airport and see him. It's in three hours for him and it's five minutes for me. Um, so this young fella flew up here, very impressed with him. It's, it's, this relates to Sunshine. And uh, I was very, very impressed with him. And at that time, just at that time, for, for interesting reasons, I bought a business called uh, the Red Baron at Noosa Airport. Now, the Red Baron was an old twin-engine uh, aeroplane with a big rotary engine. and um, Sorry, a, tw- a, a, a biplane with a rotary engine. Uh, it was an, actually an AGCAT, a Grumman AGCAT, yep. and with two seats in it for tourism. 
and I didn't have a pilot for it. So I said to this fellow, I said, I'll tell you what, if you go and get yourself a Piper Cub endorsement and if you if you if you can fly that and the instructor tells me you can, uh, I'll get you a, a AGCAT endorsement and the instructor tells me you can fly that, um, I'll give you this job flying tourists out of Noosa. But you've got to pay for the cub endorsement yourself and um, and if that doesn't work, bad luck. That's <laughs> cut a long story short, um, this guy's been with me for twenty one years. That's oh, wow. Phil Laffer, Phil Laffer, who's now probably the most senior check and training corporate pilot in the country, um, now running my simulator business. So from that day, he had 300 hours. He's now got 10,000 hours and just a wonderful guy. And he, he's just, um, he's sort of the next generation, if you like. I hope will follow me into this business, out of this business. But, but anyway, so how that, what happened then? Because Phil was in me. Um, and uh, I said to Phil, now, now you're running an airline. <laughs> he said, well, <laughs> how am I going to do that? I said, I'll set it all up. You you do all the, get all the training going. You do it all. Um, so Phil ended up being chief pilot and general manager of Sunshine Express Airlines, um, <laughs> which we ended up flying 10 services a day to to Brisbane and return from Richardall, ultimately buying two short 360s. Wow. Um, and... And so we had two short 360s and several bandits. Uh, Phil was the GM, and and we had a hell of a time with that. With, with doing that. I, I got uh, to ask you, Steve, sorry? just as you, you said, uh, you know, you're going to sit, he said, just casually, I'll set the airline up. That's no small undertaking in any point in time, but I just, I'm curious as to how you found the uh, setting that up and dealing with the regulator, which I guess that would have been the Civil Aviation Authority back at that time. That must have been it an was. interesting process. It was, but I've got to say it was a lot easier in those days. Um, there wasn't the red tape and bureaucracy that goes on today. It, it, was, it, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't um, as long as you did the right thing. A lot of stuff was done by reputation and by experience. In other words, they've dealt with you for 20 years. They know that you're going to do things properly. Of course, they did all the, all the proper checks and paperwork had to be right, but... Um, we ended up starting in a fairly short period of time, um, and it went very well. We ended up running around southeast Queensland, um, and um, you know, very successfully. But of course, guess what happened? Ansett went broke. Yes. Yeah. So, so um, we're sitting here. I got a call one morning to say we're terribly sorry, but Ansett went into liquidation today. And I rang my accountant and I said, how much do I answer that, Alice? And they owed us $700,000, um, which, which was a lot of money to me and a lot of money to us and all of us. And, of course, a business that we put a lot into was suddenly zero. Um, and everything just got shut down. And uh, we did manage to get some money out of that, $700,000, and through the liquidator, but it wasn't all, and it really set us back quite a bit. Yeah. But... Interesting enough, the same day I got a call from Qantas. <laughs> Qantas said, um, we, "You've got a good little operation there. We'd like to take it over. Like, take it over. We'd like you to work for us, uh, running, doing this. What you've been doing for Ansett." And I said, "That's great. To I'm, you know, I'm so excited." And um, I said, "Good under the same terms." They said, "No." Nah. They said, "That's what sent Ansett broke, which it did." But I know. <sighs> They did a pretty good job of screwing us down to a very tight deal. <laughs> but we continued on with that for uh, for some time. 
Uh, but in the end, we, unfortunately, we did too good a job and they ended up taking it over themselves uh, in a very, 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 um, very nice way. But in essence, they decided that now the traffic was good enough that they could they could uh, justify their own aeroplanes on the routes. It's often said that but out of adversity con- comes opportunity, doesn't it? And that's, that's certainly a story of that. Exactly. But it did coincide with an interesting sideline. That is, we, ha- we were operating metros in the end, along with the bandits and shorts on some of the longer routes. And uh, we had one metro in Brisbane. We, got, we, we ended up getting aeroplane serviced in Brisbane because that's where the, the, uh, most of them were based. And uh, unfortunately, uh, an engineer decided to spray some uh, PFC uh, into the throttle quadrant and Im- immediately pushed the throttles forward, which blew the cockpit to pieces. Uh, the, blew the uh, blew the bulkhead to the rear of the aeroplane and left the poor engineer sitting in just a seat with first eardrum, Holy uninjured crap. otherwise. But we decided that that was a message, and uh, metros we found were getting old and and um, and maintenance intensive. And we said, look, this is with Qantas and all this. That's just that's just terminate the whole lot. Um, it's been a great period and and move on. Um, yeah, which, which we did. One of the questions is: so you got the Sunshine Express. You've done some amazing stuff there with Ansett and Qantas. But Sunshine Express that wasn't the first airline you'd been involved in, was it? No. Um, back in back in in the Sydney days, um, when we were selling Bandarannies, we set up an airline uh, called um, uh, Oh Great Lakes Airlines. It was Great Lakes Airlines or Air Great Lakes, as it turned out to be, and operating a band from Sydney to um, Foster, and we landed on the island. So that And that was done in conjunction with Davy Airlines, Bill Davy from Dubbo, uh, which was owned by a grazier uh, from Western New South Wales, who turned out to be a very good friend, or resulted in being a very good friend of mine, and um, was a shareholder in, in Aramore for a short period. But, yeah, Air Great Lakes was a banded operation. It was a lot of fun again because it flew into the island and we, we had a boat that ran from the airport to the mainland. And uh, so it was a scenic trip for passengers as well as an airline service. <laughs> um, but uh, that, that actually was good because it did give us the chance to uh, get a bit experienced about airline operations before we ended up eventually, of course, going to um, Sunshine Express. Now I, I understand you've you've also had some experience helping out with establishing airlines in Asia Pacific area and doing some work with charter and so on in the US. Yeah, well, there's two stories there. I'll I'll go. Um, probably the the interesting story in Asia was because I was the Embraer dealer up there. I got to know quite a few people, and there's a company that's that uh, was owned by a good a doctor in Bangkok, and they had a a pipe of Navajo. They used to fly for the CIA, believe it or not. <laughs> and um, uh, But they wanted to start an airline. And um, so I got talking to them. They said, look, this Banner Anti would be a good airline, a good replacement for the Navajo. And I said, yeah, but it's not ideal for Asia because, you know, you've got, you know, it's hot and humid and, and all that sort of stuff. They said, no, no, we want to give it a try. Um, and it's I'm not pressurised, that was the main reason. But I said, they want to try it. And they said, can you lease us an aeroplane? So, again, cut a long story short, I painted one of my aeroplanes. And um, in their colours, we trained their flight attendants, we trained their pilots. 
I flew it with all my family and friends, all 15 of us, I think, um, <laughs> from here to Bangkok uh, as a sort of a trip, um, which turned out to be a nightmare because we've got some very, very bad winds on the way to Western Australia and then they have to fly at 15,000 feet, which, of course, wasn't very comfortable for the passengers. Mm. And uh, and the, guy, the, the pilots had loads of fresh meat on board. Anyway, it was a long story. Eventually, of course, did get there safely. Um, it was a ferry flight. It wasn't a commercial flight. And um, anyway, that airline turned out to be Bangkok Airways. Oh, wow. Which is, which is now one of the largest airlines in Southeast Asia. And um, it wasn't for that single banner ante that they operated on its own for one year with our help. That's what actually kick-started them in, into the into bigger and brighter airlines. And I've still got yeah. to welcome that out from the fellow called Dr. Brazert, who is the owner and chairman of the airline because uh, of, the, of the beginnings that we helped them establish. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. The other story is, which is an interesting story, is, is um, uh, Austin Aero. Uh, uh, for, uh, when I started buying aeroplanes and selling aeroplanes, I established a great friendship with a, a Texan fellow in Austin, Texas. Uh, I met him when I was buying a secondhand banner anti from over there at one point. We became firm friends, and um, he worked out of, in, interesting enough, Robert Mueller Airport has become famous recently. <laughs> Um, Robert Mueller was the uh, airport for Austin in those days. And there was a FBO there that he had his base in that was like five big hangars. It was over 25 acres. It had a huge fuel farm that fueled Continental, Southwest Airlines, um, American. It was a big fuel, but there was a huge risk uh, that the government were going to move the airport within five years to another site, but they may not either. So Austin Aero came up for sale by tender, and the reason it was up for sale by tender is was the fellow who owned it was Governor Connolly, who, of course, was with President uh, uh, President um, Kennedy when he was shot. And um, uh, so he owned it, and then he went broke, and it was bought by somebody else, a bank, in fact. He went broke, and then they ended up being owned by the U.S. government. So to cut a long story short again, we put a joke tender in, which we put together in one afternoon and won it. <laughs> um, now, I, I, I've got to, I, won't, I won't tell you how much we put the tender in for, but it wasn't a lot of money. And we didn't think we had a hope in Hades of running because the result could have been worse than spending the initial money because this business, business employed 25 Americans uh, all wanting to keep their jobs. Uh, and we had no idea how to run a FBO uh, with a fuel farm and contracts with eight major American airlines. <laughs> anyway, we did. We bought it. Uh, we said, "Here we go. This will be this will be a challenge. It'll be a lot of fun." I was president of the company. Brad was my um, associate and partner, um, and um, Brad Lee, his name is, just a wonderful guy, and still is my very best friend. Um, and he, um, so we got it there. I went over there quite a bit to help run it. But unfortunately, on the first day after we bought it and paid the um, the U.S. government for it, um, it had been raining for a week in Austin. And Austin is actually based on an aquifer, which means the 
water table is only 10 feet below the surface. Um, so um, it rained and rained and rained and rained and rained. And we're having a we're having a get start party in the terminal. It was a beautiful terminal. It was, you know, it was um, quite a it's typical of American terminals you see today. Um, and um, this the gentleman who ran it was a was um, a very tall fellow and lovely bloke, and he ran the whole fuel activity. Came running in with very bright eyes, saying, "The fuel farms, fuel farm, the fuel farm." We raced out and had a look, and it was being having had remedial work done by the US government as part of our deal and unfortunately the tanks the fuel tanks were coming up out of the ground like submarines oh no so they were turning vertically and coming up vertically out of the ground with thousands of gallons of jet fuel flowing out of them unfortunately towards a little creek which ran down from the from the property so the day we bought that thing was the day we almost lost it in that <laughs> we didn't have any fuel so we couldn't yeah. next day we had to fuel all these airline airplanes with no fuel so our biggest con- our biggest contract was with um with southwest airlines who as you know has got over 900 737s and um it didn't in those days of course um, and the president was a fellow called Herb Kelleher. He became very famous and wrote very a number famous. of books. Yeah. And I had to yeah. ring him, explain to him that we're going to be out of business. And he said, well, why can't you use a fuel from your competitor across the runway? I said, he won't sell it to us. We'd already tried that. He said, he won't sell it to us because, of course, he thinks he'll get your contract and everyone else's contract because we'll be out of business. And Herb said, no, nah, that's not the way we were Within two days, he had tanks in there, no cost to us, full of fuel to keep us going. That's From them inter- on, we built a brand new fuel farm. That's an, interesting, that's an interesting contrast, isn't it, uh, Steve? Um, in my history, as I did the bulk of my flying training in the United States, and I, I find the attitude there to be quite different. And that story of Herb Kelleher there really says a lot about not just that man personally, but I find that attitude over there in the US. How did you find that experience over there compared to here in Australia? Oh, wonderful. I mean... The best part about it, I mean, they do things there we can't do. Firstly, the, as you know and you've experienced, it's a whole friendly environment. Aviation is just a day-to-day business. Um, you can drive onto an airport. You can drive up to an to a airplane. You can unload your stuff. There's hangars everywhere. There's airports everywhere. It's a day-to-day operation. Nothing spectacular. Here it's treated as something that nobody really wants, especially the government and so on, and we're, and we're annoyance uh, other than the airlines. And um, hopefully one day that'll change, and we've been trying to do that. But it's a it's a hard, long road to, 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 to run. But um, that's you're exactly right. Uh, we found it fantastic dealing with people. Um, we loved the opera. People would pull up in their jets and they'd get out and, you know, everyone was polite and... Um, we had two, three presidents come through because the Bushes, of course, lived in Texas. They came through our operation. Um, uh, where Clint Eastwood used to make films there and came in in his helicopter. Um, so, yeah, look, it was one of the most enjoyable times of my career because of what you just said. It's, it, it's just wonderful to be involved in aviation at its best. 
Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I just, I've just, I've just come back from a trip over there and done some flying again, and uh, it just, it brings it back to me every time. You know, Steve, just sidetracking here, I guess, a little bit, but it's a, it's a, it's a pet topic of mine. Is, is I really wish we could bring some of that positivity about aviation from there over here. I don't know how we do it. Yeah, the biggest problem we've got, of course, is that we just haven't got the population, nor the air, or airports, you know, within. Uh, remote populations. If we had an equivalent of Austin, Texas in the middle of Australia and a lot of other all these smaller uh, towns, we'd have airports at every one of them and it would grow itself. But unfortunately, if you go out to a remote airport, when I say a remote airport, an airport that's even got to see a runway, you've got to climb over the fence to get to, a, to your transport. I mean, there, there is just no facilities. Getting fuels is improbable. We've got the best airline services in the world operating on the East Coast. So it's very difficult to sell corporate aeroplanes these days when it's such a wonderful service in great new aeroplanes at a reasonable cost. Why would people buy corporate aeroplanes? So mm. uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's really just the base we've got is not big enough um, to create that sort of thing. If it was big enough, I'm sure the very enthusiastic and passionate people in aviation would make that happen. And I tell you what, Grant, that's a that's a topic I could go on for a long time about. And anyone who's listened to me on social media uh, and podcasts for a long time knows that I'm very passionate about trying to bring some of that positivity about the US aviation scene over here to Australia. And it's not to say that it doesn't exist. Of course, there's there's so many great stories to tell, as we've been hearing here with Steve Paget. Uh, Grant, uh, we're going to move on in the next episode to uh, talking about starting an airline, and in particular, starting Alliance Airlines. That's right, mate. We'll cover Alliance Airlines and also what Steve's doing these days and uh, some of the uh, the non-business side of things that he's involved in with aviation. Folks, we really hope you're enjoying this chat with Steve Paget. We're really looking forward to part three. That's coming up again in a week or so. And, of course, if you've got uh, any feedback, uh, just drop us a line, admin at aviationtrader.com.au. And, of course, uh, any uh, time you need to do any business with this fantastic magazine, uh, lodge an advertisement, perhaps you're looking to buy or sell an aircraft, one 800 I'm Steve Vischer. On behalf of Grant McCarran, we'll talk to you again soon. Airwaves is the official podcast of Aviation Trader and part of the publication's comprehensive array of digital content. If you're passionate about aviation, stay connected at aviationtrader.com.au for the latest podcasts, news, blogs and more.